0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Evan. How's it going? Today's episode is all about personal finance. You heard it right, folks.
1: We won't talk about the secrets of the universe or the complexities of governance or difficult problems of philosophy, but something very practical. We will discuss a few prominent philosophies surrounding personal finance and analyze the books Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey and a few others. Throughout the episode, we will give our analysis of their ideas and give unsolicited advice regarding money.
0: So let's begin. Many people thumb their noses at money. They think that they're above it and too pure to think about it. This is likely due to all the negative press that gets heaped onto money and the people that have it. And that's not entirely without good reason. Consider the legacies of people like Bernie Madoff and Joaquin El Chapo Guzman or Jeff Bezos, George Soros, Jordan Belfort, the so-called Wolf of Wall Street, or even the recently disgraced CEO of the FTX crypto platform, Sam Bankman fried To many, the dastardly deeds of these elites and the money they made along the way go hand in hand. To them, the crime and corruption so often associated with the wealth is all the proof they need to declare that money – is the root of all evil. Now, does this
1: mean that money is sinful or can it be used for good? Should we seek riches, poverty, or something in between?
0: We must look back to what Buddha said and pursue the middle path there. I think there is a middle ground between being just dirt poor, wandering around, maybe a beggar of some kind, relying on charity, and also being this ultra-wealthy elite guy. I think there's a middle ground that is... The best of both worlds. And that's what we should strive for, in my opinion. And that's what I strive for. What do you think?
1: I would say if you're, if you're religious, like a monk or a priest, I think you should seek something a lot closer to poverty. And by the way, poverty is not the same as destitution. Poverty just means poor. That's what the word poor comes from. Sure. But destitution is like struggling to not die. But poverty is like living paycheck to paycheck.
0: Fair enough. So, yeah, I think uh, depending on your station in life is kind of what you're saying. That yeah, you should... but
1: if, you, if you're if you a family man with kids, you probably shouldn't try to live like that. Probably try to be more middle class so you can provide and give them what they need. Of course. But, you know, you shouldn't also, you, sh- you should limit that to not try to be a billionaire or something. You don't need to have that much money. And if you have extra money, you probably should be giving it away or reassessing your life.
0: Agreed. And would you say that if you have extra money, maybe that should be first used to help your family, immediate family, and maybe then your extended family, and then strangers?
1: I guess. Something like that. Of course, you should be giving away to the church too. There you go. During the whole time. I think that's pretty fair. But what do we know? We're going to talk a lot more about this, so hang tight. When it comes down to it, money is only a tool. It can't make you evil any more than it can make you good. Money is merely a means of exchange. It's a placeholder for the goods and services that are useful to us. Instead of bartering in the village streets, relying on pure coincidence to bring two people together who just so happen to have what the other wants, we use money to serve as a neutral liquid trading tool, which can be exchanged for anything and everything, allowing all parties to accept the validity of the currency to determine the value of various products as they see fit. In essence, money is a means to an end, not an end in
0: itself. So if money is the means to an end, what is that end? Well, if you're an ultra-rich megalomaniac, maybe the end is world domination. But for most of us, the end is simply a happy, healthy, stable life. And we can achieve this through something called personal finance, which can be defined as the act of managing one's savings and investments, planning for one's financial future, avoiding reckless spending and or debt. And preparing for unexpected expenditures, which always seem to creep up when you're least prepared. And before we begin our first book analysis, I would
1: like to point out there's a difference between righteous and unrighteous, poor and rich. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're a good person because you could just be spending all the money you get on stupid stuff. And that's why you're living paycheck to paycheck. It's because you're irresponsible instead of just being poor by nature. You're poor by by your own choices. So there is a difference. And also, if you're, if you're poor because you spend all your money on drugs, of course, there's a difference between that and the person who's legitimately impoverished because
0: they don't have much of an income. Sure. And I guess you would say the same thing that, you know, being rich doesn't automatically make you a bad guy. You could use your wealth for a lot of good. You could give it, a lot of it away. You could really help people. You, you could, but there is the proverb that Jesus
1: said that nobody knows really how to interpret about camels and needles.
0: Yes, which we may get to later on. So it, it's up to, as you said, interpretation.
1: Let's begin our journey into the world of personal finance by taking a look at some of the ideas presented
0: by Robert Kiyosaki in his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Robert Kiyosaki is an American businessman and author. He started many companies in his youth, but his main source of revenue has been his personal finance seminars and some real estate ventures. He co-wrote a book with Donald Trump and endorsed him in 2016. However, his most popular book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which he published in 1997. At a young age, Robert and his friend
1: Mike decided that they were interested in the art of making money. Robert's real dad, called Poor Dad, was a highly educated and respected professor, but struggled with money all his life. Mike's real dad and Robert's mentor, Rich Dad, was a middle school dropout who built an empire of stores across Hawaii where he grew up and died a very rich man. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is told in parables and anecdotes, so it is easy to read. But there aren't as many concrete lessons as other personal finance books. Let's begin a summary of the book itself, sprinkled with our takes on what Kiyosaki has to say.
0: Lesson 1. The rich don't work for money. There is a huge difference between being an employee and having passive income. The rich don't work for their money. They make money work for them. Employee income relies entirely on other people. Employees can be fired, laid off, or replaced by robots. Lesson two, why teach financial literacy? The more people make, the more they spend. If you get a raise, only strict self-discipline will keep you from not spending more. This is called lifestyle creep.
1: Very important. Let's compare assets and liabilities. According to Kiyosaki, assets put money in your pocket, while liabilities take money out of your pocket. This differs from the standard definition where assets are things that you own that have value, such as houses and cars. So keep that in mind when we talk about these two concepts. Your home, according to Kiyosaki, is not an asset. It costs you money through mortgage payments, taxes, repairs, etc. and doesn't make you anything. The same goes for your car. And your car is even worse because it depreciates a lot quicker. The rich have assets, the poor have
0: liabilities, and the poor don't know the difference. Typical liabilities include mortgages, car loans, credit card debt, school loans, and other loans. Basically, all debt and luxuries fall under liabilities. Typical assets include income generating real estate, stocks, bonds, notes, royalties, and intellectual property. Fear and greed dominate most people. This vicious cycle, fear of not having enough, and greed for more stuff once there is excess money, makes most people live paycheck to paycheck. Most people use emotions to make financial decisions. The poor get a paycheck,
1: but they really work to make the business owners and or shareholders rich. And this is very important, so pay attention. The whole point of a corporation is to make money for the shareholders, and they will do everything feasible to reduce costs and increase income. If you're an employee, you're a cost. The poor also work for the government. Think about it. If your local tax rate is 25%, you work for the government for three months out of the year without getting paid. The poor also work for the bank by making mortgage payments with interest. Almost all their money goes to making other people rich and they don't have much money left over for themselves. Learn to utilize an income statement and a balance sheet. They measure different things
0: but help you understand your financial situation. Lesson three, mind your own business. Increase your assets and keep your liabilities down in order to become and stay rich. Assets are like employees that work for you 24/7. Only buy luxuries when your assets are generating enough money to pay for them. The poor tend to buy luxuries first. Unless you're passionate about something, do not start your own business.
1: 90% of new businesses fail within 5 years, and 90% of the remaining fail within a few decades. Running a business is just a harder form of having a job, and you often have to take work home with you, which can strain family ties. Notice how this differs from most personal finance advice, which confidently tells you that you must be an entrepreneur.
0: Assets should generate money without much of your involvement. This is called passive income. Net worth is an inaccurate measure because the sale of any of your worth will be taxed. This is entirely true. Any stock that is sold within a year of being bought has a high capital gains tax rate for any profit made. Any other stock profit is just taxed as regular income tax. If you're rich, This will certainly put you in the top tax bracket of 37%. Lesson four, the history of taxes and the
1: power of corporations. The corporation is the biggest secret of the rich. The corporate setup allows them to pay taxes after they've paid everyone else. They only pay taxes on profits, not their entire income. Plus, corporate income tax
0: rates are much lower than personal income tax rates. Taxing the rich never works. If you raise personal income taxes, they won't pay because most of their money doesn't come from a paycheck, but assets. Raising income taxes only hurts the rich professionals like doctors, lawyers, small business owners, etc., and the middle class. The rich are
1: good at legally avoiding taxes. They also have the money and power to get out of paying taxes or change the law code. They will avoid paying taxes at all costs. And let me say, Donald Trump is one of the best at
0: this. You know, they, they keep trying to get his tax records. Did they ever get it? Uh, I want to say that just recently, as of uh, November of 2022, they may be getting them three years after they started trying. I think there was some news that came out recently that, that they will be able to see them, I think.
1: And the fact that he paid like
0: a ridiculously low percentage of his income, I mean, it's legal, most it, likely. It's legal, and he bragged about it even. You know, and he's bragged about it before on multiple occasions saying, you know, I, I do what I can to pay as little as possible. And if you were in the situation, so would you. Everybody would. Nobody wants to pay more taxes. And if you have the power to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to uh, go use those legal loopholes because, again, it's perfectly legal. Uh, and that just reinforces the point that corporations are by far the best way to get rich. Lesson five, the
1: rich invent money. Financial intelligence is made up of these four main technical skills. Accounting, investing, understanding markets, and the law. If you want to be more
0: successful, learn about these topics. Be more well-rounded. That's always good advice there. Fear and doubt are the biggest obstacles to genius. Always adapt to the newest information. Change your mind and methods when necessary. If you don't understand the investment, don't invest. Learn as much as possible before investing. Safe
1: investments have low returns and still have some risk. Money is fake and the rich know this.
0: That is why they're good at getting it. And now, a quick rant on fiat currency. Fiat currencies are what we call the paper money printed by various world governments. They may seem more dependable than stocks or crypto, but let's remember that nations rise and fall all the time. And when they do, their money falls with them, leaving the average Joe holding the bag. Fiat currencies are centrally controlled, meaning that the quality and stability of the currency depends on the quality and stability of a government. A decentralized system would be harder to mismanage and is therefore preferable, but good luck trying to convince world governments to just release their power over the money and who prints it and how much is printed. Most modern currencies are also baseless. American dollars used to be directly tied to a gold standard, which was great. Gold has intrinsic value and a limited supply, meaning that its value can never be zero and was in fact well above zero most of the time and still is to this day. The dollar, by contrast, is based on the full faith and credit of the USA and dollars can be printed endlessly. This is a recipe for inflation and even in extreme cases, hyperinflation, which we've seen in other countries where their dollars have gone through something much worse than what we're going through right this very minute. There's also the issue of market instability. Since fiat currencies are artificial, they are susceptible to the mandates of central planners and even foreign governments. This almost guarantees that regular people will always draw the short straw, while elected officials, bureaucrats, and elites who influence monetary policy will use the system to their advantage. In conclusion, sounds good, doesn't work. Now, let's get back to Kiyosaki's lessons. Lesson number six, work to learn, don't work for money. Work to learn rather than trying to get a secure job with good benefits. Learn as much as you can at each job. There is an opportunity for this at even the most menial jobs. Very talented people, like mechanics, accountants, etc., often have very low incomes. They need to learn to make money too. Skill is not directly related to income.
1: That's a really good point. I mean, I wouldn't have no clue how to be a mechanic. It seems, it's just beyond my comprehension. And -hmm. yet those guys... They make a lot less than, I don't know, any white-collar keyboard
0: pusher makes. Yeah, generally. Yeah, like, you could be, like, the most skilled burger flipper sandwich maker, but you're only going to make probably just above minimum wage. But even mechanics,
1: I mean, it's a very valuable skill. It is. Can't be replaced by a robot, for now. Burger flippers might, so I can see that. But mechanics, I mean, these guys are definitely aren't making more than
0: 20 an hour. I would say that's probably an average for for at least... Most places that are not extremely dense population wise, like that would probably be pretty low for L.A. or New York, you know. I think for most most average places across the country, whether it's the Midwest, whether it's the South, more MAGA country, if you will. I I think that's, that's probably about how much they're making. But in reality, you know, especially with rising inflation and things like that, that's really not going as far as it used to. Job stands for just
1: over broke. Specialization has its strengths and weaknesses. You may be more valuable to your current employer when you're specialized. But what if they fire you? Who else will value your specialized skills? If you're specialized, you need to unionize in order to survive. Give money away as a habit. It often comes back around anyway. Lesson 7. Overcoming obstacles. Fear, cynicism, laziness, bad habits, and or
0: arrogance keep intelligent people from developing assets. Anything worth doing requires risk. You must fail some in order to succeed in life. What golfer hasn't lost golf balls to water or the woods or the sand trap? For most people, unfortunately, the pain of losing money is far greater than the joy of being rich. Be like the Texans. When you fail, don't bury your failures, but get inspired by them and make them rallying cries. Remember the Alamo. Never say, I can't afford it.
1: This causes inaction, sadness, and an excuse. Instead say, how can I afford it? Pay yourself first. This makes sure that you're setting yourself upright and puts the fire under you to pay everyone else. It makes you creative. That's risky. We'll get to that later. Lots of people in the world of finance are clueless and ignorant. The same goes for, quote, experts in any field. And you can see why this guy likes Donald Trump. There's You can see a lot of similarities, really. Yeah. And I, I really agree with that. I mean, there are a lot of clueless experts out there who will continue to call themselves experts even after they've been debunked time and time again and just made a fool of and they won't even they won't even
0: make an apology and they'll keep giving their expert opinions. As a wise man once said, 9 out of 10 experts agree with the people that fund them. <laughs> Lesson 8: Getting Started. Have purpose in everything you do. It makes doing it less difficult. Most people would rather have a nice new TV than business books, but obviously one of those is much more important to your long-term success than the other. There are a lot of educated people who consider themselves smart that are broke. So they're not really that smart. Self-made people
1: like to talk about money because they find the topic interesting. Here's a quote from the book. People who lack internal fortitude often become victims of those who have self-discipline. In only
0: play with money, you can afford to lose. That was a a Warren Buffett thing. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these guys have come to that conclusion independently, but I think Warren Buffett famously said that he went to like a horse race and he bet like a whole week's salary on it, and of course he lost, and... He was like, oh my gosh, I lost so much money then. And from then on, he said, never again, never never play with more than you're willing to lose because that week's salary was something he really needed. Very, very important advice there. Probably some of the most important on the list. So you still want more advice? Here are some of Kiyosaki's to-dos, things that you should be doing in your life right now. If you're not happy with where you are, stop doing what you're doing. Look for new ideas. Find someone who has done what you want to do. Take classes read, and attend seminars. Make lots of offers. Jog, walk, or drive to a certain area once a month for 10 minutes. Shop for bargains in all markets. Look in the right places. Look for people who want to buy first, then look for someone who wants to sell. Think big. Learn from history. And action always beats inaction. Now, out of uh, this list of to-dos, Evan... What are some that you liked best? What are some you didn't like? What are some that you have implemented in your own life? Well, all the ones related to real estate
1: I'm not doing. I'm not driving around trying to find foreclosed houses or anything like that. But I do like the taking classes, reading, attending seminars. There are a lot of bad seminars out there. We'll get to that too. But reading, watching stuff on YouTube. Sure. Doing free Coursera stuff. That is that that's really uplifting for somebody who's ambitious, which I, I do sometimes. And of course, learn from history. Duh! That's what we do. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I mean, we made a whole podcast about it, right? Yeah.
1: And Otherwise, I'm I'm fairly happy with where I am financially, so I'm not I'm not desperate to change things up.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Um, the shop for bargains in all markets is something I think you would agree with, and and I I tend to do as well. Um, because why not try to go for a good deal? You know, you shouldn't just shop for a bargain when it comes to something expensive, and then just when it comes to something less expensive, just pay sticker price or whatever, you should be shopping for a bargain almost all the time. You know, why not? It doesn't take too long and it's, it's not that difficult. So why not? So I like that one. And of course, I do appreciate the sentiment that action beats inaction. A lot of what keeps people from doing things and being successful is just self-doubt and, and just laziness or it's just fear of, of failure. And you, you just got to act. You just got to do. And eventually you're going to land on something A certain series of events that will work out for you. Just because they didn't in the past doesn't mean that you can't just get on a roll once. But it all starts by just getting out there and doing it. You just have to do it. As Shia LaBeouf said, just do it. Make your dreams come true. If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. It's wise words. He's a crazy man. Wise words. He's gotten better. He has gotten better. He's doing that Padre Pio thing, isn't he? Yeah. Going to have to see that. Going to have to check that out. Anyway, so the, out of those, that list, those are the ones I, I really liked. And I think most of those are, are pretty good, even for the ones that are about real estate. If they don't apply to you, oh, well, you know, just keep it in the back of your mind.
1: And now here are some interesting anecdotes and little pieces of information from the book. Now, first, uh, Kiyosaki was getting interviewed by a journalist, and I think it was in um, Singapore or something because he had written this book, and he was a rich Mrs. Man. So this journalist came and was interviewing him, and she was complaining about how she was poor, and she was trying to write her own book and get famous. And he said, you want to write a successful book that everybody's buying? I would suggest that you take advertising classes. And she scoffed at him. She said, oh, I would never demean myself to be someone who, who's advertising. And she scoffed and literally like walked away without doing the interview. She was so offended. Wow. By, really? by marketing and advertising being the basis. Afterward, he was recounting the event. He said, well, how else are you going to sell books? You want to know what people want. And it's not just bringing it down to a base level to where people will want to buy it. It's what do people want to hear and what do people want to read. Exactly. And also from his childhood, Robert and Mike were told to make money by Rich Dad. So they collected a bunch of toothpaste tubes And at the time, these were made of lead. So very safe. They melted them down and molded them into nickels. So they literally made money as they were instructed. All the adults were laughing and impressed. But of course, this activity has a
0: name, counterfeiting. Lesson number nine, counterfeit. (laughs) (laughs) Literally make money. So here's another story. Rich dad got the boys to work at his stores for 10 cents an hour on Saturdays. Now, uh, what decade was this? When this is happening? I think it was probably the 40s, 50s. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Kiyosaki's very old. Okay. But even then, 10 cents an hour, I don't know, that really wasn't all that much? It was below what he should have been paid. Yes, which we'll see here in a minute. When Robert complained and threatened to quit because he was getting paid so little, he learned it had been a test to see if he had a fighting spirit. This illustrates that employees are completely dependent on employers and will never get ahead. He stopped paying them anything for a few more weeks and told them to figure out ways to make money. They took comic books that were going to be thrown away and set up a library where kids could pay per hour to read comic books. It made them a lot of money until they had to shut it down due to bullies. Finally, the cone of learning. He didn't make this up, but I thought it was interesting. For each of
1: these forms of learning and presenting, this is how much you retain after the fact. If you just read it, you retain 10%. Hearing, 20%. Seeing it, 30%. Hearing and seeing, 50%. Speaking, as in presenting, 70%. Speaking and doing the activity, 90% is retained. So you need to do, as he said earlier, you need to just do it because if you just read it in this book and never touch it again, you won't even remember it, Mm -hmm. most likely. That makes sense. Okay, so we're done with our summary of the book. But here's what we liked about the book Kiyosaki's explanations for why the wealth gap between the rich and the poor keeps increasing are spot on. And frankly, he was very upfront about how the gap is increasing to alarming levels. He gave explanations, but yeah, it's getting worse and worse. He is very based when it comes to taxes
0: and our currency. He gives some good advice
1: on how to be smart with money, which we already
0: stated. Now, what I liked about it was that he was pretty ruthless, which can definitely take you far in the world, especially where money is concerned. Moral considerations aside, that mindset can help you succeed maybe not in every situation and in every situation it may not be ideal but you do have to adopt at a certain point a me versus them mentality you know you have to look out for numero uno first within reason and his advice on making money work for you uh, as far as passive income goes that's good and for any person who has a decent savings and is no longer paycheck to paycheck you know you're moving up above that and you want to reach the next step that is probably what you need to do to get into that next tax bracket is get some passive income going if you're already outside of the paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck area. Yeah, Kiyosaki would argue that's just, you're still part of the
1: problem by having a just-over-broke job. Because if you're just moving up to the next tax bracket, you're just giving more of your money away. It's like a game, like, it's hard to get ahead when you just have a job, when you just make an income. Agreed. Because, yeah. you know, you can make 10000 more, but it's just going to be taxed, a lot of it, and it might move you up to the next tax bracket, and that's just going to be taxed at a higher rate. So, you know, you're just playing this game. If you make an income, you're just paying more and more, like the more you make. So he would say, get those assets going. Get the assets going that make you money that aren't, that's not taxable. There you go. Or as taxed, at least. So if you've got a little savings account and you, you want to move up, do that. And that's why he didn't say it specifically. That's why 401k, IRAs, that's what you really need to do. Those are definition assets. So, for example, 401k It's not taxed until you take it out, whenever you retire or take it out. IRA, it's taxed now, so you don't have to pay for it later. But still, it's an asset that grows over time without you having to do anything about it. Exactly. Assuming the stock market keeps going up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a big assumption there. (laughs) Well,
1: it has historically. It's always gone up over time. Yeah, it may have dips, but it, it goes up over time. Moving on to our objections. We have a few. Kiyosaki's claim that employees cannot get ahead was frankly false. I know plenty of people with jobs that are doing very well financially. However, he might counter that these people invest their money. And that's usually true. So I guess a big takeaway from this book is that you must invest your money in some way. But it, you can be
0: an employee in, you know, your whole working life and ha- be fine. Yeah. And that depends on your definition of fine. He might say, oh, that's, that's not fine. That's not enough. But you don't have, not everyone's trying to be a millionaire. You know, these people you're talking about, and even just us, we're doing well. We are doing way better than like 95% of people worldwide. You know, we're doing fine. We're, We're provided for and we're happy with what we got. So he may not think that we're doing all that great, but I think we are. So who cares? Aside from investing in stocks,
1: Kiyosaki encourages other assets. This mainly consists in owning properties. The first option is to own a rental and collect rent every month while also hiring a property manager so you don't have to do any work. Uh, This means that you keep any leftover profit. So you're you're paying someone to do all the work for you and profiting off of it. The second option is to, quote, be the bank to people by giving them home loans. This, of course, is only once you you get pretty wealthy, you can start just giving out loans to people. The third option is to buy undervalued homes and sell them for a profit quickly. The first option is arguably exploiting the property manager by underpaying him and making him do all the work while you profit doing nothing. The second option is flat out usury. I know usury is how this country has always run, but it's still wrong if you ask me. He even said that he hopes they can't make payments at some point so that he can kick them out and start over with someone else, keeping all the money they already gave him. The third option is taking advantage of desperate homeowners or buying up foreclosed properties. This seems a little bit sleazy to me. You shouldn't take advantage of people in hard situations.
0: Some some of these options I would say... It may only work for certain sets of people, as you said. You have to have quite a large savings already to be the bank. So that's a little bit too much of a of a specialized suggestion, I think, for him to be making in this book that is supposed to be for the average Joe, right? I, don't, I mean, it's meant it for everybody. Yeah, and it
1: won't. It's encouraging you to be more like Kiyosaki.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's just a little bit of a reach. Like, how many people do you really know? I know some people who have plenty of money. But how many people do you really know who are loaning out money? Like mortgage amounts of money. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's a little bit excessive.
1: A major objection related to the ones before is that Kiyosaki advocates getting money for no work. For him, money should work for you. This goes against common decency by divorcing profit from work. Yes, I know I'm getting awfully close to Marx's labor theory of value, but I'm talking about what ought to be, not what is. Profit should come from adding value to the world be it a product, service, or piece of knowledge. It almost seems immoral to make money for contributing no value to mankind. In the case of usury, you're actually making the world a worse place while profiting.
0: Now, would you say this falls into the same category here, uh, making money from the stock market?
1: It's a little bit different. Um, it's not quite usury because they're not charging you interest to use it. You're you're giving money to businesses. You're You're basically helping invest in a company. And if they do better yeah make money, it, then you make profit if they do better with the money they're given, then you made a good investment and you made that company worth more and you profit and if they go downhill, it means you didn't give your money to the right company and you wasted it
0: exactly. And yeah, for people who say, oh, you know, these people on the who are playing the stock market, they don't actually really do contribute anything to society. Well, they're just they... making money off of the off of the market. But to be fair, every stock out there has a company behind it has employees. And so, if you give them that money, you invest in them. That is you providing for someone. Like that money, at some level through the chain, paid for someone to put food on the table, and it helped a company grow, which Maybe. then helped them hire more people. In theory, yes. Now, I really think we ought to do a some
1: episode sometime on like investing in general, because this is actually a big debate. As to whether you should be doing this. If you think about it, like, is it a good thing to be giving Disney your money to help them become better? Like to, to give Disney your money? No. No. Cause so when you're when you have a 401k with a company that you work for, you're most likely invested some in Disney. Just for example, you can do any company like Amazon, Starbucks. You're probably invested in these major corporations. So when you make your monthly contributions, you're helping those companies get bigger and better. You're giving them the capital they need to expand and expand reach. their
0: woke agenda.
1: Yeah. So you're giving money to those people who at the very least do not support the same things you do. But if you wanted to make a little stretch, literally hate you and what
0: you stand for. So you're <laughs> giving money to your enemies at the worst or pedophiles. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Groomers, <laughs> yeah. what what have you? Exactly. And and um that's an interesting point because I think a lot of people have a 401k but they they don't really know what that money's being invested in. What What stocks are being bought with that? I'll tell you, it's a diversified portfolio. That's what they
1: do now, which is good for your money. It means if one sector of the economy goes down, you're not screwed. It's all over the place. It's in other countries. They're invested in China, Europe, India. I think mine is about 20% foreign markets. So that's going to be China, India, developed countries, wow. Europe. That's so that if, if the U.S. tanks, you're not completely messed up. Yeah. And that makes sense. However, investing in China... Mm. You know, also all these industries you might not support. For example, if you're an environmentalist and you're very likely, unless you make a specific request not to be, you are invested in BP, ExxonMobil. All these companies that are mining companies, probably. All these companies that, you know, do not help the environment. Mm, That's very interesting. Car companies. Watch episode 28 did cars or in everything for more on that discussion but you know it's it, unless you make a conscious effort you're going to invest in basically everybody oh all the big players you're making the big corporations bigger and you're not helping the small companies succeed so you're giving more money to the big guys to get bigger so that should be a whole separate discussion
0: yeah i i agree you really need to pay attention as a investor to where your money is going even on those things that you you don't always see like the 401k next let's talk about dave ramsey and his idea of the baby steps dave ramsey is a businessman author former real estate agent and radio personality whose simple yet effective approach to personal finance has made him a household name most people probably know him best as the host of the syndicated radio program the dave ramsey show which features Dave and sometimes a special guest engaging in dialogues with various callers regarding their unique financial situations. Some of Ramsey's most popular books include The Total Money Makeover, Financial Peace, and Baby Steps Millionaires. A piece of advice from Evan. If you read these books, you should probably skip all the anecdotal blurbs sprinkled throughout the book. They are fluff and only contribute to the book by trying to inspire the reader. If you don't need inspiration and just need the information, skip the success stories ramsey
1: is famous for his baby steps full disclosure my wife and i use these baby steps in our financial planning the baby steps are a set of seven ordered tasks which bring you closer to financial freedom with each leap again they should be done in order step one save one thousand dollars for an emergency fund step two pay off all debts from smallest to largest not including the mortgage this is called the debt snowball so start with your little credit card payment that's hundred dollars Move on to, you know, your car payment and all that. And finally, get to that those student loans, if you have any, and pay those off. And even just doing step steps one and two will bring you a long way, even if you stop there. But you shouldn't stop there. Moving on to step three. Save enough for three to six months of expenses, whatever that may be for you. If you're a family, that's going to be a lot. If you're just a bachelor living a monk lifestyle, that won't be that much. And now steps four, five, and six can be done simultaneously. So step four, invest 15% of your total income for retirement. That's the 401ks we were were talking about. Step five, save for your children's future, probably college, but you know, whatever. You don't have to send them to college. Step six, pay off the mortgage early. And man, when you hit step six, I just can't imagine that feeling when I get there. You'll be rocking and rolling, baby. all All debt is gone. All the money you get goes to taxes and whatever you want. No debt. Man,
0: you won't know what to do with yourself, no.
1: And step seven, continue to build wealth and be
0: charitable. Enjoy yourself. You will have earned it. Uh, on top of the baby steps, Ramsey is noteworthy for advocating a complete removal of credit cards from your life. He makes no exceptions to this. He says to use a debit card and hard cash.
1: Now, on top of that, he's also famous more recently. As background, he's, he's pretty libertarian about things. At least fiscally, he's libertarian, He's made a lot of waves for uh, his opinions on the recent restrictions and quarantines and all that. So he's pretty, he's very base when it comes to that. He's literally yes. ridiculed people for coming into the office
0: wearing a mask. Nice. He got a lot of bad press on that. Oh, well. I did see that in his controversies section on yeah, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> so let's discuss these steps. Uh, which which have we struggled with, which are easy? Uh, which do we disagree with, if any? And uh, do we think that any of them don't go far enough? I would say they go far
1: enough. I like the steps as they are, as far as which I've struggled with. Uh, We're currently on step three. So we've done one and two, full disclosure. We don't have any debt besides the mortgage.
0: Which is an awesome place to be in. Yeah, when you're young. When you're
1: young with a family, that's very good. But I was blessed though that my parents did pay for my college. So I didn't have the student loans to pay off. I did get a very good scholarship though. So it wasn't that much in total. But still, I didn't
0: have that to pay off. Exactly. Which is a, that's a big thing right there that so many people have gigantic student loans. I know people in their forties who are still paying those off. That's rough.
1: Yeah. We're still working on step three of getting six months of expenses in the bank. That's just because we have two kids and one of them has a lot of medical expenses. So we're getting there. And then I, I do invest. So I kind of did skip ahead. I put a lot of my money into 401k because they match. And I'm not going to let that go to waste.
0: Of course. So had you not done that, you might be closer to accomplishing step. Yeah, three. I have quite a bit of money in there, mm-hmm. which is great. That's awesome. I mean, because you're just exchanging short term for long term at that point. You know, your short term money would be the whatever you got in your bank account now, but you're investing in long term. So yeah, that's cool. And you're you're making it elsewhere. You know, otherwise you're you're not sacrificing those first few steps to accomplish this later investment step. So you're you're doing fine. That's awesome. Okay, so would you say, do you think that starting off is a very hard step for you? Or do you think that's probably the hardest step for most people, like just saving $1,000? Yeah, I would hope that there's not
1: that that many people who don't have $1,000 in the bank. But I, I know I'd be surprised if I got statistics on that. Yeah. There's a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck. Now, how many of those are their own fault and how many or whatever? I'd, I don't know. It's not, that's kind of beyond the scope of this episode. But, I agree. You know, you really should have at least a thousand dollars. I mean, there have been many times emergencies have come up, and I've had to spend over a thousand dollars. So you really should probably have more than a thousand dollars.
0: Oh yeah, you should. Well, that's why that's just step one. You know, yeah, like, that's, like that's that's like the minimum you should have. If I may, let me give you a little anecdote. Okay, I was recently out uh, after going to the gym. I was out getting a brewski with just some people that I, I kind of loosely knew, some acquaintances at the gym. And let's just say that the this was in a more liberal part of town with a little, little bit li- more liberal group of people, okay? About my age, mid to late 20s. And some of them were talking about how they have roommates. Some of them were talking about how they're, you know, they're wondering how they're going to be able to afford XYZ or their car payment and things like that. And I'm listening to them talking about all this stuff. And I'm looking at my beer and my beer probably cost me like seven bucks. You know, their beers might've cost about the same. There are some beers up there that might cost you closer to eight bucks or something. And these people spent hours at this place. drinking one after the other. Exactly. You know where I'm going with this. So these people are on the one hand complaining about having, not having money or having to have a roommate to deal with their roommate or whatever, and not being able to make their car payment. And then on the other hand, they're talking about going to a rave, going to a concert, drinking three or four, six, seven dollar beers in one night. And they wonder why finances are such a trouble for them. It just blew my mind. You know, it's the we should improve society somewhat meme. And then the guy's like, you drink twelve dollar coffee. okay? you want to improve society? Just give up some of your luxuries. And that's what a lot of young people, I think, don't understand. They just can't give up those luxuries.
1: As Kiyosaki said, the poor pay for luxuries first and then regret it. Well, their finances regret it.
0: Exactly. I'm out here drinking $7 beer because I can afford it. You're drinking $7 beer because you're a freaking liberal snowflake. We are not the same. (laughs) Case closed. I'm not going to get
1: racial. Okay, you got those guys. You got the, the ghetto. And they're they're like living in these dilapidated houses or apartments in the terrible conditions, barely making rent. And yet they got these gold necklaces on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got chains. Yeah, they got they all got, this glam. They got rims. They got glamour. And miss me with that. <laughs> Stop. Man, I can't even. No, no luxuries if you're barely making ends meet. It's pretty simple.
0: They're in section eight and they're like, man, I got to get that Birkin bag, yo. I got to get that Gucci. Yeah. It happens. So I hear you. Uh, What what step are you on? At the end of the day, I would say I am at step. I'm not contributing 15% of my income to my retirement. I need to be. I've been trying to figure out how to do that. Um, But I just have And you don't
1: have a mortgage, full disclosure. Yeah, full
0: disclosure, I don't have a mortgage. Um, So, but yeah, I've I've got the savings. Or children. Yes. Or the children to pay for. Exactly. So there are fewer expenses in my life. So you're on step four. Pretty I would much. say I'm on step four. You don't have any debt? Other than a credit card, I pay off every month. No, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah, because it's paid off every month. Um, No, no, because I, I, just, I just paid off my truck last year. Yeah. So yeah, no debt. Pretty cool. I went to trade school, guys. I didn't go to a university. We're going to talk about that later. Yeah,
1: we'll get to that. Let's discuss some other personal finance greats. I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi was the second book I ever read about personal finance after the Total Money Makeover. This book is for financial amateurs. That's why it was good for me. Despite its title, it will not get you to be filthy rich. It has a lot of basic, no-nonsense advice about how to save and not live paycheck to paycheck. Besides just saying, don't use credit cards like uh, Dave Ramsey. He tells you how to pick the right one with the right perks to not go into debt and play the system. He literally gives you a script if you miss a credit card payment on how to get the, the fee removed. Wow. Yeah. Also, he tells you what banks you should choose and avoid. He hates Bank of America, by the way. How to negotiate with institutions, how to do basic investing, how to create a budget and spend money on your priorities while skimping on other things, and how to automate everything so it takes less of your time. Being rich and being sexy are two different things. I am both rich and sexy, so I don't know what you're talking about there. Well, some of us can only be one. (laughs) Getting wealthy can be a boring process without sophisticated investing and savvy business moves. He actually had a really funny story in there. It's going back to what Kiyosaki was saying about experts. He started off a chapter about, you know, there's people out there who pick stocks left and right and then sell at the quote perfect time to try to make profit. First of all, you're going to if you do short term trading like that, you're going to get hit with that capital gains tax like nobody's business. I mean, it's like way higher than you would if you waited over a year. Yes. Ridiculous. It's like 40 percent or something. But there's people who do that. And he was making the point that actually, if you just continually put money into a portfolio over time, you will match or outperform the experts who pick and choose specific stocks after studying them all day. Oh, we'll get to that a little bit later. That's impressive, though. He also recalled the story about experts. Uh, they had these wine taster experts and they blindfolded them and said, OK, here's a red wine, like taste it and tell me the flavors and notes. And likewise for a white wine. They had them do this and write down their words and they lied about what color the the wines were. And they couldn't even tell that it was white wine when it was red wine and vice <laughs> versa <laughs> because they used there's like keywords that you use for red wines that they used when they were given the white wine and vice versa. Oh, wow. So it just totally tricked them. They just had no clue. So it's all I mean, all these experts. I'm not saying all experts are wrong. Obviously doctors oftentimes. <laughs> yeah, let's not, be very careful all, here. Not not all the time, but doctors know more about it than the average person about medicine. But, you know, there there are many times when experts are just, you know,
0: straight up arrogant pricks who know nothing and paid yeah. by who? Yeah. Well, we'll just let that be. (laughs) (laughs) The Richest Man in Babylon was written by George S. Clayson in 1926 and is still considered a classic in the personal finance genre. It was quite a joy to experience by audiobook as well. Using witty parables set in ancient Babylon, he gives seven cures for a lean purse and the five laws of gold, along with various other parables. His seven cures are to save at least 10% of your money, control your expenditures so that you don't exceed your income, make wise investments, Don't fall for the get-rich-quick schemes. Own rather than rent. Prepare for retirement and develop your skills to increase your ability to learn. This all sounds very familiar. The laws of gold are to save money, take advantage of compound interest, have a long-term view, and take good advice. Avoid enterprises which you are ignorant of and be patient about growing your money.
1: Now, what are some common themes amongst all these books? Here are some. Financial success doesn't happen by accident. You need a plan and you need rules to follow.
0: Staying out of debt and becoming wealthy are skills. And like any other skills, you have to practice regularly if you want to get better. You must have discipline if you want to increase your wealth. Don't buy
1: whole life insurance. It's a straight up scam. And I was surprised to hear that from multiple people. Both Ramsey and Sadie have explicitly said this. Ramsey's adamant. and even, I have watched an episode that had a whole life insurance salesman call in and try to dispute with him. Wow. And Sadie said the same thing, like just buy term life insurance. It's not a scam. With whole life insurance, it's, it's a lot higher monthly payment, but it's marketed as like, oh, we're investing your money too. But it's uh, really just, just get term life insurance and invest your money in a 401k. Like do them
0: separately. Don't do whole life insurance. You don't need to be a mathematical genius and investment connoisseur to make money. Simple strategies are enough to win over time. In fact, it is best to not try to beat the stock market. It is saturated with people who spend all day trying to beat it, and you really have no chance of besting them. Most people
1: are ignorant and weak-willed when it comes to money, simply because they think only luck or fraud can get
0: it. Now let's compare the books and philosophies. What are some of the disagreements and differences in their experiences? Kiyosaki's advice is definitely more get-rich-quick than the other
1: authors we mentioned. He advocates what finance guys call a highly leveraged position also known as taking a lot of risks and getting debt to try to make money. Kiyosaki has been accused of charging exorbitant rates for risky advice in his seminars, and he has filed bankruptcy on many of his companies over time. No wonder he is friends with Trump. (laughs) They sound very similar, but hey, I'm just a pleb who isn't rich nor poor, so
0: what do I know? Both Kiyosaki and Ramsey have experience with bankruptcy. Uh, As we just mentioned, the difference is that Kiyosaki's were corporate bankruptcies while Ramsey went broke personally, but this was right before he kind of changed his life around and published the book. It was before he was doing personal finance. (laughs) Ramsey does
1: not agree with any debt or credit cards. Sadie says to use credit cards to your advantage and take some debt on things like a house or to get a college education. Kiyosaki says that debt is a tool in your toolbox.
0: Yeah, the U.S. government says that too. (laughs) All three men are wealthy. Let's let's be fair here. Ramsey's net worth is 200 million. Kiyosaki's is 100 million, and Seti's is 25 million. That's impressive. Very. So they're following some advice. Personal
1: finance is all about building wealth and preferably not spending all your money on things you don't need. The problem with the modern economy is that simply saving money is not enough. If you save 1,000 a month and stick it in your couch or put it in a bank account that makes you 0.1 percent as it is now, or basically 0% all round, but it's basically the same, you are losing money over time. Inflation will eat away at your money like no one's business. Even in the good times of 2% inflation under Trump, the value of your money is halved every 34 years. Under Biden's 9%, the value of your money is halved every 7 years. So keep that in mind. Inflation robs the poor, elderly, and middle class, while the rich manage to beat it, because they know all about money and they know how to keep it. What causes inflation? Many on the right say that it's quantitative easing and debt and the like, and I can't help but agree. When the government keeps the interest rates low, prints money, and goes trillions of dollars into debt, that is going to cause inflation in the long term. Now here's a hot take. We need a precious metal standard for our money again. Thanks a lot, Nixon. Let's not forget that our entire banking system is based on a house of cards. Not trying to scare you. But the banks only have to keep 10% of the money at the bank at any given time. So if they have $10 million in assets, if they're a tiny bank, they only have to have $1 million at any time.
0: And the rest is just loaned out or invested somewhere
1: else. Yes, it's a house of cards. This is known as fractional reserve banking, and it will land you in prison if you try it yourself, since it is indistinguishable from a Ponzi scheme. On top of that, they make money from nothing by charging interest on loans. A lot of money is being created out of nothing in this country, and we will reap and are reaping the consequences right now. Back to personal finance, our country is filled with scams, bad deals, and snake oil salesmen. And unfortunately, financial literacy is not taught in schools or by most parents. Most people will barely stay afloat throughout their lives, and they will need government assistance to retire with Social Security, Medicare, etc. In most cases, knowledge would save these people from the brink of poverty. I personally love Ramsey's philosophy with some caveats like I use a credit card for example and Ramit Sethi's point of view the best. Everybody in America can do the baby steps and get to a better place in life. Ramsey is perfect for somebody who doesn't have financial self-control or stability. However, I have to disagree with Ramsey on credit cards. If you pay them off in time, they will literally cost you nothing and some credit cards give you rewards. I have never failed to pay off my credit card in time. These companies are giving me small interest-free loans every week. And really, they're the ones who are paying. It takes discipline to be able to control yourself and not go into that rabbit hole. So he has a point. If you have no self-control or little self-control credit cards, just cut them up, freeze them, whatever you have to do. Just use real money. Kiyosaki's plan is fine for those who love taking risks with their money and don't have as many moral qualms. But I will mostly not take his advice beyond a few maxims. He had some good points about assets versus liabilities and a few other things that I will take with me. There are natural and unnatural ways to gain material wealth. Wealth should come from creating value. Going back to John Locke's idea, property comes to be owned by mixing labor with nature. The most basic form of that is growing food and raising cattle. As economies become more complex, the creation of value became less direct, such as providing services. Nonetheless, lawful gain required some contribution to the common good. When gain is made out of no work or out of hurting others, then I object. My go-to example is usury, like I said before, which is charging interest on loans. This is simply taking advantage of other people and making money from doing nothing. Not only has the Catholic Church opposed all forms of usury until very recent times, and also the ancient Jewish people, and they do to this day, mostly, but even Aristotle hated it. Here's what the legend himself said in Politics Book 1, Chapter 5. Quote, Very much disliked also is the practice of charging interest, and the dislike is fully justified, for the gain arises out of currency itself, not as a product of that for which currency was provided." Also of course, misleading the public and committing crimes to make money is wrong. Unlike Kiyosaki, I don't think you should strive to be filthy rich. You will never be happy with the amount you have, and you know what they say, mo money, mo problems. You should seek to have enough to live securely and some extra to pay for stuff that you really care about plus more to give to church and charitable causes. For example, I care a lot about sending my kids to Catholic school, which will cost me over $100,000 per kid over time. But in my opinion, it's very important. I don't care about taking fancy trips every year or having a big house or flexing with a Corvette. Money by itself is not the root of all evil, but the unnatural love of it is. Learn enough about it to save your family for ruin and to provide them with a comfortable life and things you value. To conclude, I would recommend our audience read The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey first, then read I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi after that. Then get more in-depth knowledge about personal finance at your leisure.
0: It is hard to argue with Evan's points here, and you know what? He really laid it on the table. Everybody, so round of applause. Round of applause for this man. Now, I've never been the kind of guy who invests heavily. Sure, I've. Dabbled in crypto from time to time, Dabble in weapons and ammunition, and of course, I have my 401k, as we mentioned earlier. But other than that, I live a very simple life. I found that money has never been a huge temptation for me, thankfully. In fact, 2022 might have been the first year that I really truly came to understand the age-old saying that money can't buy happiness. You may not believe it, but it's true. If you're going through hard times or you are missing something important in your personal life, no amount of money can fix that. Personal finance is great. It can help you take care of the bare necessities so that they no longer become a major source of concern in your daily life. And it can allow you to pursue more lofty goals. But never, not even for a second, let money itself be your main goal. Always find something better and more gratifying to use it for. Be it your hobbies, your spouse, your children, or your extended family, your church, maybe coworkers, or just charity to random strangers. So, my goal for this next year, 2023, is to invest a little more, be a little bit more charitable, try to focus on the things that money can't buy. But for those of you who are on the Sigma male grind set, who are out there pushing pee, trying to make some fat stacks, I've got some words of wisdom for you. Because even though I'm from the streets, I've got a few rules that can help keep you off the streets. So, here we go. First, If you put your needs before your wants, you'll have enough for both. If you put your wants before your needs, you'll never have enough for either. Pay your bills first, save next, and then, only then, spend a little on something that you want, but never so much that you can't afford your needs the next month. Two, always keep multiple payment methods on your person. I like to have cash, usually a few hundred dollars in the wallet, debit card, and credit card. That way, if one gets lost or breaks, I have a backup. Dave Ramsey is so triggered right now. <laughs> so, so triggered. <laughs> but I'm glad that you agree with the credit card thing, because if you know how to handle it responsibly, it's it's no
1: issue. It's like a gun. You know, if you're irresponsible and stupid, you know, you shouldn't have one on you. But, you know, if you're responsible, then it can be a good thing to have on you. You know,
0: I agree. Wow. Credit cards are like a gun.
1: The, and they can be very dangerous. They can kill people. <laughs> I mean, for real. People,
0: yeah. I mean, really you,
1: you kill yourself financially with a credit card. Mostly kill yourself. you probably shoot yourself in the foot with it.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. You're 100% right. Number three, don't pay with your phone. Reject modernity. Embrace tradition. If you drop your phone or you get a virus or you get hacked or something, what are you going to do, huh? And if the big tech oligarchy decides to freeze your funds because you said the gamer word, then what are you going to do? It's so true because cash is already fragile enough. Four, Keep separate bank accounts as a couple if you both work. Now, this is going to be a source of much controversy, but we're going to work through it here. Evan and I have had long discussions on this topic, and he firmly disagrees with this. But I don't care. This is, this is my opinion. This is my take on it, my hot take. If only one spouse works, that's fine. You got to share because that the other spouse has to have access to funds, right? Because they don't work. But if you both have a job, why not keep them separate? Because eventually... In my estimation here, eventually one of you will start to nag the other about what they spend from the joint account, which breeds resentment and distrust, and only encourages spouses to hide, quote, secret stashes from each other. Now, I've never had to deal with that personally, but I know quite a few people who have, in the words of Orange Man, many such cases. I'm going to have a quick
1: word here because, frankly, I can't help myself. Having separate accounts fosters the wrong mentality in marriage. It is the same reason why I'm against prenups. But I would dare to say that I agree with prenups more than separate bank accounts. When you get married, two become one flesh. It is not just a contract or corporate merger. When you keep separate accounts, you're saying, 1. You don't trust the other person with your money. 2. You are not planning on building a future together. 3. Everything is me-centric. 4. Each person is allowed to do whatever they want with, quote, their money without any regard for the future of the other. And five, you are
0: preparing for divorce or at least protecting yourself from it. Okay, that's all. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Trusting someone with their money, it's very important. You got to have trust in a relationship. But I would ask just rhetorically, what is more trusting? Is it putting money together so you can watch what's being taken out of it for whatever bills or whatever? Or is it splitting up the bills and saying, look, I can't even look at your account, but I'm going to trust that you're going to pay these. Well, as Ronald Reagan said, trust, but verify. I agree in trust, but verify. I mean, I I do try to live my life by that, you know, but at the same time, just strictly about which one requires more trust. I feel like it does require more trust to just say, I can't see what you're spending, but I'm going to trust that you're going to pay for it. But I do like the idea of trusting and verifying. So I'm not against having separate accounts and then for the bills the most important thing in your life there having something where you just put enough money for the bills but everybody has a secret stash even those who say they combine their their finances i would say generally like 95% of people they have a secret stash they've got their own money you know you may be an I, exception we don't i mean i hope she doesn't i don't <laughs> well you may be an exception but then again you don't you don't necessarily know what the other has not saying that they do but it can happen, and I've known many people who have like secret stashes so that they can just go spend on some stuff. And also, if you got a joint account and you want to buy your your spouse a uh, a gift for Christmas, you know, a uh, uh, Dan, what what was this hundred dollar spending at, at Victoria's Secret? There's something you're hiding from me. There's something you want to tell me. It just it can become an issue. You where, just tell them ahead of time. Don't look. <laughs> uh, it's then there. You go. Then then what's the point? You know, you can have a joint one for your bills, but there is nothing wrong. I don't, I don't want people to think there's something wrong. There is nothing wrong with having a separate account for each. And if you want to, if it's more convenient, a shared one for the bills. But you should have your own money. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's your truth, you know? Yeah, you just, just, you just, just live truth, your truth, okay. Live your financial truth.
1: <laughs> Finan- <laughs> what do you mean? I $100,000 what... <laughs> $100, in debt. <laughs> no,
0: I'm, I'm rich. Is, is that, that what my Dave Ramsey means by financial freedom? <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, we've gone on too long. Five, the more tangible or useful the investment, the better. This is why I'm not big into crypto. It's cool and fun and it's, uh, it's kind of a cool experimental thing, but it's even less real than the dollar, which is saying something. Invest in something that is real and serves multiple functions. Land is great. Why do you think Bill Gates and the Chinese are buying so much of it? Weaponry is great. You can't defend yourself with Bitcoin, but you can with an AR. Real estate is great. People always need a place to live. And if you absolutely want to start a business or invest in one, check out the Bureau of Labor Statistics list of industries with the highest growth and pick something that fits those top categories that you feel uh, that you could successfully run. Six, learn from people who are financially savvy and from people who aren't. I learned some of the best lessons on money from people who were, frankly, stupid as hell just by watching them fail and then doing the opposite of what they did. As for people who are savvy, ask them questions. Don't be afraid to talk specifics. Again, something that Evan and I might disagree on. Uh, for me, I have no shame talking about how much money I make, how much I've saved, and I appreciate learning that from other people too. So I only refrain from doing that out of respect for my good friend and co-host because I care about him so much.
1: Thank you. I think the reason that you are okay with that is because you have less envy than most people I know. It's like, it's like the, one, the one vice that you don't struggle with at all. So when you ask people how much they make, if they told you it was more than yours, I really don't think you would be upset. No, no. But no, a lot no. of people would get upset knowing that someone else makes more than them.
0: This is true. And that, that, that's a big reason why people don't like to talk about it. This is true. Well, then that would be one of my other things of advice. Guys, don't worry about it. There's always someone who's richer than you. Don't feel bad. Just learn from them. Jeff Bezos is triggered. Seven, get a high school or summer job. If you pay attention, you'll learn more practical knowledge than in school. Believe me. Eight, don't get pregnant or get a girl pregnant until you're stable. Preferably wait until you're married, but at least wait until you've got a good job to be reckless. The welfare state hates him.
1: In fact, I think I remember seeing that if you do three things, you have a 98% chance of not being in poverty. One, don't get pregnant or get someone else pregnant before marriage. Two, get a high school diploma or a GED. And three, keep a job for at least a year. If you do those three things, you will very likely not ever be in poverty in your life. I'm not going to say it's simple, but just do those simple three things and you will
0: be in a lot better state than if you don't. Number nine, don't do what you want. Do what you're good at. Then work on your hobbies or passions until you can afford to make them your career. You can't be anything you want. You're not a special snowflake and happiness is not guaranteed. Man up. Hone the skills that you come by naturally and use them to provide for yourself. Then Make your real passion your side project and cultivate it until you can make a career out of it. Now listen to Mike Rowe, the Dirty Jobs host.
1: He is the best and most based guy on the subject. Do not follow your passion. Make rational decisions about your future career. If everybody followed their passion, how many SoundCloud rappers would there be? How many athletes? And how many would work in factories or pick up trash for a living? Not many, I'll tell you that. The world doesn't care what you're passionate about. It cares about what you can provide in relation to what it wants and needs. So pick something you're good at and something that is valued. Get really good at it. Put time and effort in and you may succeed. I'm reading the minds of some of you right now. So let's say you're an obstinate teenager or a person that just hasn't grown out of the mentality of follow your passion and you think I'm a cranky old man who doesn't know what he's talking about. I will tell you what will happen if you follow a useless passion. Let's say you go to a four-year university and get a political science degree. Okay, you like politics, you like reading the news, that's fine. Once you graduate, you will not be able to find a well-paying job unless you're very, very top-tier at a top-tier university. So you will have to settle for a low-paying job that's only halfway related to your degree. You will slave away for at least 50 hours a week doing this with no overtime pay, and you will barely be able to make ends meet. On top of this, you now have six figures worth of student loans to pay off. You will grow disillusioned with political science. In fact, you will come to resent it. Your biggest passion has turned into your biggest regret, a cause of debt slavery, a menial job, long hours, and a low standard of living. Do not listen to your guidance counselors. And that's just a general good advice. <laughs> Can confirm. I, I, I did not like listen to worst. my guidance counselors. They are, the guidance counselors are one of the most underrated villains in the American <laughs> system.
0: They are a villain. They really are. I'll just
1: go to college. I've literally heard one say everybody can go to college. Like, even if you don't achieve it. Well, college is for everybody. Yeah, that's
0: how you know th- paid they're wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: Who's paying. Anyways, be smart. Be like us. Get useful degrees or you know, certifications in Daniel's case. Then talk about politics in your spare
0: time like we do.
1: We don't get paid for this. Nobody's paying us yet. That's okay.
0: Yeah. it's, it's We're trying to make this hobby... Potentially, who knows, into career, maybe, but we're, we're doing it on the side and yep. we have day jobs. Yep. And my last point is kind of springboarding right off of that. Go to community college. This is a threat. Nothing awaits you at university except debt, communism, and whores. Perfectly correct. Now it's time for the takeaways. There are different approaches to personal finance, but they all have the same goal securing your future well-being against the unpredictability and unfairness of our complex financial systems.
1: If you want to learn any skill, start with the experts. In this case, Kiyosaki, Ramsey, Sadie, and Clayson are great role models who can help you plan your finances or fix existing money problems.
0: Kiyosaki and Ramsey both have experience with bankruptcy. Despite this, they have managed to become wealthy and influence millions of people worldwide. Everyone struggles with money at some point
1: in their life, so don't feel down. Have patience, foster discipline, and keep moving forward. Little by little, you'll achieve your goals. Now for lingering questions. Dan, if you could go back in time, what financial advice would you give yourself?
0: I would go back in time and say, put a little bit more money in your 401k instead of contributing just like 5% or whatever, 6 or 7 It's just a little change, but over time, that little change can add up. And if you do it in your 20s, it'll make the world a difference.
1: Yes. Lots of people don't start to their 30s or 40s and they really are screwing themselves mm-hmm.
0: out of potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. And the way that um, I was able to, to work out of town and, and make a little bit more money than I normally would in certain periods of my life, that would have been a good time to be contributing more because I ended up saving a lot, which is good for the short term. But it's just sitting, it's not doing any work for me. It's just in a savings account. So I should have been contributing that to something that could have grown, especially during the Trump economy. Uh, That would have helped me. What would you do? Other than invest in Bitcoin when it was only like $10.
1: Man, (laughs) I am a little salty about that because that was back when I was libertarian. All the libertarians were saying to buy Bitcoin. And man, I could have made so much money. That's okay, though. It's making profit off of nothing. So morally, I'm in the clear. But, you know, having a hundred thousand in extra in my bank account would be pretty good. Oh, Regardless. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to brag, but I've I've also I've always been kind of a realist. Like I picked my major based on the amount of jobs and the amount of salary I would get out of college. And it worked ended up working out for me. Because my dad always instilled that in me, luckily. I'm glad I didn't listen to my guidance counselors when they encouraged me when I said I wanted to go to school for political science in my sophomore year, because I was really into politics. I'm glad that I eventually came to my senses, even though she was very happy to hear that from me. Nice lady, but terrible advice. Otherwise, I guess college ended up working out for me, but I might have done things differently if if I had my modern, if I had my current brain back back in high school, I might have not gone to college. Really? Yeah. What would you have done instead? College was miserable, but it ended up working out for me, but I might have done something more like, I don't know, I don't know what I would have done, but I would have, not just taking it as an assumption that I should go to college. You I may have thought more
0: about it. Yeah, you may have dabbled in like the trades or something, or just well, seen I, what it was like. I had a really
1: good GPA and stuff, so I mean, it was always kind of assumed I
0: would go to college. But I would have thought more about it. Sure. Now, why do so many normal people struggle to understand basic financial planning? What's what's holding them up? Education, ignorance, and its you know flip side. Yeah, I think public schools are a big. Blame right there. They they are to blame for a lot of that because they're that should be something that should be reinforced every year in school. I think that's that's a class that you should be taking financial literacy, at financial least planning one
1: class in high school.
0: Yeah, at least uh because these kids come out and they don't know. Really, they don't understand a mortgage. They don't understand the taxes that are becoming going to be coming out of your paycheck. They don't understand how to file taxes at the end of the year. They don't understand what the difference is between an IRA or a four hundred one k or different investments. They don't even know what those are most of the time. Exactly, I didn't know it, and I was top of my class. Yeah, so it's not that it's not that even these kids are stupid. It's just that they're not getting the information. They're too busy learning about the powerhouse of the cell. Yeah, you know, (laughs) and not learning about the actual practical applications. Of money and stuff that they're going to be dealing with on a daily basis. I don't deal with mitochondria on a daily basis, but I need to know about financial planning. Generally, just common sense needs to be taught because
1: people think you're born with common sense. It's not true. You're taught common sense through experience and directly taught. So financial education, financial planning is a good part of that toolbox for common sense kind of education. And it should be at least one class in high school. In fact, i I know a couple that just got married and they both went to like a charter school in our state that teaches classical education. And even on top of that, this school like had a deal with Ramsey to where they taught all the students like Financial Peace University. Like oh, they they awesome. all went through the Ramsey course that was oh.
0: provided by the school. Oh man, that's awesome.
1: And man, that that young man and young woman, they were, I mean, they were just getting out of college. But, I mean, I think they just paid for college, like, each year. They would just work and then work summers. And they were like, they hardly had any debt by the end.
0: Wow, good for them. They're
1: very practical. So, all you got to do is teach kids. You know, nobody knows this. But really, it should fall on parents, too, if the, if the schools won't do it. The parents should be teaching. But a lot of the parents are ignorant, too. And you see your parents growing up, and they, they gawk at a TV at Best Buy. And they're like, oh, let's get the TV. And they make impulse buys. And then that, you're passing that on to your kids
0: exactly to the be kids will grow up to be like the parents so all it takes is for the parents to just realize hey i need to turn it around and just just read the read the dave ramsey book and then let your kids read it and work on it together and and that's that's something that you can do with your kids you know they can try to save their stuff from their little jobs or birthdays or whatever and you can do it too and you make it a family event
1: will the american personal debt crisis ever subside no yes really it will have to <laughs> if something will happen well define subside i mean As will in, it get res- better like it will resol- be resolved in some way <laughs> it has to i mean through mass repossession of assets you know either repossession
0: or just repudiation or uh default or it will get better naturally but that's not gonna happen i don't think it'll uh, i guess that's what i was getting at it's not gonna get better naturally like, i don't think people like are the going responsible to responsible way no no people aren't gonna start paying off their credit cards in mass. It's not gonna happen.
1: I think it is getting better though i mean i've I heard that the credit card companies are getting mad because a lot more people are paying them off in time really yeah. yeah, I mean Dave Ramsey's a big figure he's he's got one of the biggest podcasts and YouTube channels there there is probably
0: the biggest in personal finance well that's interesting. you should say that because I heard that <laughs> I heard that in some places they are offering loans for people to buy groceries. Because the inflation is so bad. Well, that's a separate issue. Yeah. So I don't know what to believe. I don't know if people are taking on more loans and more debt or if they're paying them off sooner. I don't know. But I, I just see it every year that it's, it's something that gets brought up in the news occasionally is that the debt is just outrageous for personal.
1: It's not debt. just personal. I mean, it's the national debt, too.
0: Well, obviously, yeah. But there's not so much we can do about the government borrowing and everything like that. I just mean, you know, what people are putting on credit cards and, and mortgages and things like that. I just, I worry that that's never going to actually be resolved in a, in a, in the way it should be, where people take responsibility.
1: No, that much money can't be tens of trillions. It can't be resolved in the responsible way.
0: Yeah. It's going to be ugly. Because we're
1: living in a fantasy land right now where people, people who make 50,000 a year are living like they make a hundred thousand. Eventually it's going to catch up. You're One right. way or another, you are right. Either we just say screw the the lindies, the lenders, I mean, or uh, they say screw you e- to us. Either way, agreed. That's all for today's show. Make sure to like, subscribe, and leave your comments. Join us again next time for even more ancient wisdom.